Hi, everyone. This is part two of episode 14, where we talk about GameStop stock. If you missed part one, be sure to go back and check that out. Okay, now on with the show. Should we, uh, should we close out on GameStop? Yeah, let's do it. So, last week, feels like an eternity. Yeah. Uh, last week, GameStop stock had a meteoric rise. So, GameStop stock, uh, two weeks ago... I, I mean, I'm, these numbers might be quite like not are not quite right. So, but like just a few weeks ago, it was only twenty bucks. It was only worth twenty bucks. Um, and then last week, early last week, it, it went up to sixty, sixty dollars. And I remember that was whenever that's when I started seeing like some media and stuff saying like, "What is going on here? This is getting <laughs> crazy." Um, and then the next day it was one fifty, and then the day after that it was three over three hundred dollars. And uh, it was just madness, right? This is crazy. This is crazy. The stock, so there became a media frenzy around it. Um, the GameStop stock ended up being tied to a subreddit called Wall Street Bets. Um, so there's like this whole interesting story that I'm hoping we can just dig into and have a conversation yeah. about because I think it's pretty fascinating stuff. So that's like kind of the preview here is like GameStop stock in a week went nuts and everybody's was asking what the hell is going on. Yeah. And when you say tied to this subreddit it seems to have been driven primarily from this subreddit although the the real story might be a little more complicated but yeah originally yeah. that looked like the cause that it was a bunch of reddit investors chasing gamestop altogether yes that is true that is true that's the right way to describe it is that uh wall street bets had um sort of built this demand for gamestop stock based on some theories that we can get into and why mm-hmm. why this happened and so quickly oh sorry okay. i was gonna say these this individual investor often referred to as a retail investor that is who was buying the stock so it's individuals like you and i using brokerage accounts like robin hood or weeble like some of these newer app-based like tech focused brokerages to mm. buy gamestop stock and a subreddit for anybody <laughs> i think we're oh yeah we're, we already went wait yeah you're right a subreddit this... is like um you can think of it as like a group on facebook sort of except that it is uh it is driven by posts that rise to the top this is all of reddit um rise to the top based on how many upvotes they get which yep. is like somebody saying i like this and that is almost the sole determiner of what content people see where yes. it, it's related to what people see on Facebook, but not the only thing. So subreddits are just a group of people that are all looking at the same content and posting some of it. And Wall Street Bets, I was not familiar with it in the past, but it has a, a bit of a reputation for being yeah. a bit rough. Yes, yes. It definitely has a reputation. And I can comment a little bit. I'm not a I'm now a subscriber to the subreddit. I wasn't before this event. I did catch wind of Wall Street Bets being a subreddit. Um, community a few weeks before this just like through happenstance in a youtube video mm. um and when i saw that youtube video i went poking around just in there because um i have for the listeners like i've been a reddit user for like a decade by no means an expert nobody could be subreddit is a i mean it's just so many there's thousands tens of thousands of communities all with their own unique basically <laughs> Uh, language and memes and everything so you know no one's an expert on reddit but i know how to traverse the site i know how to look for stuff um and i kind of can see through 
um, I can kind of see through the noise a little bit to try to decipher what's actually going on. Some people get pretty offended when you go into different subreddits for good reason. Wall Street Bets is one of those. Um, and perhaps maybe that's why you, st- you know, some people should say you just stop there. But um, yeah. So uh, getting into the story a little bit. So I, I did a deep dive, right? When this hit the media, I was just fascinated. I was like, what is going on here? Why is GameStop stock worth $60? Uh, why do these retail investors want to buy it? Um, what's driving all this mania? Wait, can we start with um, what is? Can we start with the simple version of the story that I think was mostly portrayed by the media as it happened? Sure. I can give like a super rapid rundown because That's I think a good idea. some of this might be true, some of it is unclear whether it's true, and some of it might be just wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I think if you watched the news last week and read some stories, what you might have heard was. A cabal of uh, retail investors of these randos on Reddit agreed that they thought GameStop, GameStop stock was undervalued. And this happened over the last couple months. And so slowly they gathered more and more people to their side of like, let's buy GameStop stock. At the same time, they heard of a, and I'm just saying they super amorphously, they heard that there were Wall Street investors shorting the stock which is a term for borrowing the stock so you can sell it before you buy it. Um, And that is basically how you make money when a stock goes down instead of up. Right. And due to the mechanics of how the buying works, where you must buy it after you sell it, you need to eventually buy it. So some of the smart uh, investors on the site realized that by raising the stock price, they could actually sort of manipulate these other people who shorted the stock to raise the stock value themselves and to lose money because Mm -hmm. they have to buy it later. Yeah. And that even there is almost a second level of nuance that I feel like may not have hit some of the news stories. So crazy mob of investors, retail investors just decides they want to manipulate the stock price, pushes the price up by just everybody buying. Everybody's like, you should buy too. We should all Mm -hmm. buy. We should all be buying GameStop. Um, And they push the stock price up. It makes people afraid to short the stock, which is usually a way of bringing the price back down. But at this point, it's like the momentum is unstoppable. Um, And the price just goes up and up and up and up and up. Then at some point, Robinhood, which is one of the companies that makes it really easy for normal people to buy stock, says, we're not going to let people buy this anymore. So um, again, this is the simple narrative. So now it's like, well, I guess Robinhood is in is, you know, playing this elaborate game because really they're in cahoots with the hedge funds and the hedge funds are losing money and they called in a favor and Robin Hood was like, okay, we'll stop. We'll stop the regular people from making too much money here. Yeah. Um, and then uh, over the last two weeks, the price goes back down and it's like all is good, except that it seems like perhaps we were defeated by, uh, by the 1%. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. this is the super high level story. And I think we should dig in a little deeper from here. If that's okay. I agree. No, totally. I think that's, you've done a good job setting the stage and sort of introducing the main players and sort of the core event that ties them together, which is the shorting of this stock. So, um, yeah, let's dive in a little bit. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna add a little more context around the shorting situation, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to go back to what I learned from Wall Street's bets. Okay? So what these retail investors, the smart ones as you refer to them, and they are – I'll just add now, there are some very smart people on Wall Street Bets. I don't let the media or whomever try to paint a narrative that it's a bunch of crazy, uh, you know, retail investors who are egging each other on with memes. That is a big part of it. But there are some people who are genuinely really good at this stuff. They know way more than me, um, way more than probably even uh, hedge fund analysts. They're very, very good at this. Um, They identified the ability to 
execute what is referred to as a short squeeze, which is this scenario that you um, were alluding to where you have a institution sorting shorting the stock, which means at some point in the future, they're going to have to buy the stock back and return it to the original owner. That must be done. They have an obligation to do so. And a short squeeze situation, I'm not an expert, but one of the easy ways or one of the one of the easier ways for it to materialize is when a stock is overshorted, overshorted. And that's what happened to GameStop. Um, you can overshort a stock um, and overshort is not a technical term. There's not a definition for what that means. My definition is that you've shorted more than 100% of the available stock. Um so that's you called short interest. Uh, it's a percentage of the total stock available and uh, the total the number of shares shorted versus total over total stock. It's the ratio there. And at its height, GameStop was at 140%, which is crazy. I mean, that normally doesn't happen. It's pretty absurd to have a stock that's 140% short interest. Um, and the way you can do that is is these institutional investors they can keep borrowing back the same shares. And selling them. So, and there's no rule against this. If you want to keep shorting and keep borrowing back the same shares and selling them again, there's no one there. You don't have to stop. You can keep doing it. Um, but when this scenario materialized, when this when this set of conditions materialized, um, Wall Street Bets realized, hey, if we buy up all the stock and we refuse to sell the stock, and if we tell our brokers not to let anyone borrow our stock to short it, uh, we can create a short squeeze um, scenario, which will result in these hedge funds basically having to buy the stock at whatever price we name and then returning it back to their investor, uh, the original owner of the stock. So let's pause here, if that's okay. Yeah. So I think that short selling is super unclear unless you walk through an example and then it's actually quite clear. And it explains a little bit of why this mechanic happens. Okay. So first off, you're not just betting against no one that the stock will go down. Like there is actually a thing happening here that explains why you're making money when it goes down. So let's say Greg owns a few shares of uh, Walmart and I want to short Walmart. So what I do is I say, Greg, can I borrow the shares from you? I will pay you for them in two months at the price they're at in two months. Yes. But for now, I'm just going to take hold of them before I've bought them from you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to sell them to someone else. So I take the Walmart shares and I sell them off to someone else at the current price, which is like $10. And then in two months, hopefully the price goes down. So what I actually pay Greg for the shares that I took from him is less than $10. Yes. But there have to be shares in there somewhere. You need to find somebody who has the shares. And eventually you need to pay them for them. Yes. So um, there's there's a few complications around short selling. So if you buy a stock share for $10, the most you can lose is $10. The company goes bankrupt, you lose all your money, it's down to zero. With short selling, the company's price could go up to any number. It could go up to $10,000 when it started at 10. So your losses are unlimited. Your potential losses are unlimited. And so for that reason, when you ask, when I ask Greg to borrow those shares, he's going to say, I need to know that you have some collateral and potentially you even need to give me some money as the collateral to hold on to until this happens. Because if the stock goes up, you're going to owe me a lot of money and I want to know you're good for it. Yep. So what can happen is as 
the price goes up. So let's say I borrow these shares from Greg at $10 and I sell them away. And then they start to get more valuable. Now they're like $20. And Greg says, I need more money from you because I'm not sure you're going to actually be able to pay this off. So suddenly as these shares get more valuable, yeah, they might go down before you pay me back. But right now it looks like they're way higher. So you need to give me some more money. And this puts people in a position where they need to pay up. And also sometimes the best thing to do there, if you are the person who shorted the stock is say, I can't afford to take such big losses. Like if this goes up even more, I'm in trouble. Right. So instead they might buy a share of the stock and give it back to Greg immediately mm-hmm. and just pay it off. Yeah. And so, close their position. Is and what close you the would position for basically. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say? That was, no, you've nailed it. That's, yeah. that's, that's the exact scenario that these hedge funds found themselves in. And so yes. tying it back into the GME, uh, that's the ticker symbol for GameStop. Um, uh, these hedge funds have been shorting GameStop for months at this point, maybe even longer. And let me just take one step back and mention to the GameStop example. GameStop is a failing business, yeah, right. <laughs> which is irrelevant. It's, that's why people that's, are shorting it. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, that's another part I was going to mention, but we can get there. Uh, the part I was going to say is, is to your example, it's an accurate depiction of what's happening when a entity wants to short a stock however in real life uh the transaction doesn't play out like that because a brokerage handles everything between the two parties so your stock can actually be borrowed and shorted and you not even be aware that that happens pretty regularly um now there is a contract that underlines that under that supports the short and so if I, as an owner of a piece of of one stock of some company, um, go to my brokerage and I'm like, hey, I want to sell it. And in fact, that share was on lease or borrowed and then sold. They would contact the other side of the party who shorted it and be like, it's time to pay it back. The original owner wants it. And there's there's a set amount of time. There's a fee involved. There's all kinds of you know contractual details that support these. But most times you're oblivious. So it's even happening. Um, and when the... Whoever is shorting the stock, you don't know who you're even borrowing it from. The broker just goes out and finds it, grabs it, and gives it to you. So it's a pretty opaque system from both sides, right? I mean, I think the, the institutional investors have more uh, information than the retail side. Um, but in general, it's just you don't quite – you don't know who's on the other end of the transaction. Um, just like when you sell a stock, you don't know who bought it from you. So um, just wanted to add that little bit of context there. Mm-hmm. It's like – you know, people didn't know that their shares were being borrowed and, and all this. So, but that's uh, but that's an important detail because part of the way. So, harkening back a little bit to where I was explaining what causes people to maybe close their positions, the short squeeze is related to that too, because at some point um, you have to buy back the stock. Yes. And so, if you can make there be fewer shares available, or you can drive up the price, that puts people in an even worse position to buy back the stock, and they must pay it, which sometimes drives up the price even more. And also, one way, based on what you just said about, you know, your shares can be borrowed at any time. One way you can affect that is you can actually call your broker in some cases and say, "Do not lend my shares." Yeah, yeah. And by doing so, you squeeze the number of shares available to be rebought for people to close their positions. Which, when it gets tight, when there aren't enough shares to go around for these shorts, can actually drive up the price of the stock, which puts the shorts in even worse position. Right. So many of the Reddit investors did that and said, "Don't let my shares be borrowed," um, which means there's not enough for this to happen. Right, right. No, you're totally right about that. And actually, 
this is pretty deep into the story. We'll see if we get there. But I've been... I just want to get... First, I just want to preface, like, everything I say is just based on what I've been able to figure out, like, on the yeah. internet. And same my here, inf- of course. My information yeah. is not solid. You'd have to be inside the brokerages and really actually further up the chain inside of the t- clearinghouses at times to really understand what's happening on both sides of these transactions or both sides of the transaction. Um, but the something I was unaware of is a concept called fail to deliver. And uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but when... It's basically one side one side of a transaction doesn't hold up their end of the deal. Ah, uh, yes. Mm. So I bought a I buy a share of um, Walmart from Ethan, and I pay the brokerage ten dollars for that share, and the brokerage um, through their system sees that Ethan's willing to sell a share for that much. And through normally it's just through like a technical glitch or an issue. It's not like through malfeasance, but something goes wrong in the transaction. Ethan doesn't for whatever reason doesn't actually deliver his share. It's not his fault. His brokerage probably just screwed up. There's a technical glitch, whatever. Um, when that happens, it's called a fail to deliver. And normally the result is that your brokerage, without even telling you, will just create a phantom share. And it's a non-existent share. It's not a part of the pool of actual shares available. Um, but per like when you look at Robinhood or Fidelity or Vanguard, when you look in your brokerage, it'll say, I have one share of Walmart and I bought, I bought it. And it will look as if the transaction cleared appropriately. But really behind the scenes, that's a phantom share because there was a fail to deliver. And the brokerage has 21 days to sort that. Figure out what the technical glitch is. Why didn't Ethan deliver the share? Why didn't Ethan's brokerage deliver the share to me? Blah, 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 whatever. Figure it out. And if they don't figure it out in 21 days, it becomes the brokerage's responsibility to actually get you the share. Would you say brokerage is that the same as the clearinghouse? No. It's like that would be it would be Robin Hood. But the clearinghouse, oh. Robinhood, the clearinghouse is upstream, and that's who Robinhood sends their transactions through. Hmm. Is my understanding of, yeah, of how it I works? Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, you've gone deeper on this than I realized, so I'm just listening now. Okay, well, you know, now there's no one to check me, so I can just <laughs> <laughs> uh, saying all kinds of nonsense. But yeah, that's my understanding. Is like this fail to deliver, and I didn't realize it was even a thing. But the SEC reports fail to delivers. Uh, regularly like every day and then they do monthly reports it's obviously something that you want to keep track of because the um, integrity of the marketplace Mm -hmm. is at stake if there's a lot of fail to delivers well um, the data that i've been able to see shows that fail to delivers have skyrocketed in the past week and i think that's through i would have to bet that the vast majority of those are related to gamestop Mm -hmm. Um, now there's all kinds of you know, theories about why this is happening. Perhaps the broker or perhaps the hedge funds are just refusing. They're just like, um, it's not a technical glare, but a glitch, but they're just like, you know, the share gets, shares get recalled and they refuse to buy them. Mm-hmm. They refuse to actually hold up their end of the deal, whatever. No one actually knows why it's all opaque, but failed delivers have skyrocketed. So that was a rabbit hole. Yeah. We can get back to that later. Taking a step back again to where we were saying with the short sellers, um, the short sellers have been shorting GameStop stock for months, maybe even a year at this point. And to your what you just said before, it's because GameStop is a failing business, right? Quote unquote. Um, some people don't think it's failing, and we'll we'll get there. But um, these hedge funds have made the made a bet, and it's a risky one. They were saying, you know, at four dollars a share, GameStop stock is overvalued, and so we're going to short that at the four dollar position, which there's not much margin there. Like, yeah. shorting a stock at that low of a price is a very risky proposition. 
It's different when the stock's worth $100 and you're really confident that it's definitely not worth that much. Uh, it's re- it's different when you're at such a low dollar yeah. amount. Like how much share. less could it be worth? Right. Yeah. Is it three? Is it two? It's it's not a, I mean, it's not a, a thriving business, but um, I don't think it's on the brink of failure either. So, you know, how much lower could it go? So these, um, these shares, uh, or sorry, these um, institutional investors, hedge funds, they shorted it. And um, there's a lot of uh, mixed feelings, I would say. Maybe that's not the right phrase, but there's a lot of, of, of opinions about shorting and uh, whether it's the whether it's a good thing and should people allow it. I generally think it's fine. I don't have a problem with it. In fact, it's done some really remarkably good things for the financial system. It roots out corruption. It protects investors. It protects overly optimistic people from getting caught up. Um, you know, Enron is a company that was shorted and found to be a fraud in terms of accounting. Um, the housing market was shorted in 2006 and 2007. There was a subprime mortgage crisis that underlied all that, which yeah, basically, you know, materialized- you know, people because people can short things, um, really smart investors with an in have an incentive to find fraud, yes. short the stock and then report the fraud more broadly because it brings down the stock price. And so it's basically like a mechanism to root out fraud. Right. Now, that's the ideal scenario, and that's how it's played out a few times, right? And generally, I think I support that narrative. I don't think that that's really wrong or misplaced, misguided. But uh, there is the other side of it, too, where um, there is this you know, game or scheme played by these huge hedge funds investors that will short a stock and then write a 100-page report um, that you know people will argue is mostly fake or exaggerated about why they shorted the stock and why this company is going to fail. And then they get on CNBC yeah. and they tell everyone they took the short position. And it's, they basically, um, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They short the stock. They tell, they, they create this report that people from within the company say is mostly exaggerated, not a real depiction of the situation. Um, and then they get on media outlets and broadcast that message around and they scare people and they cause the price to drop because people sell. Because, of course, you know, mm-hmm. I'll name one of the actors in this scenario. Uh, Melvin Capital is really smart. Uh, they make a lot of money. They have a lot of really smart people working for them, security analysts. They must know that this company really is not worth yeah. whatever amount. Um and, you know, there's been a whole bunch of debate of like, is that market manipulation? Is it okay? What's, what's, what's market manipulation? Is it when I buy a stock and then I tell Ethan, I think it's a great stock and he should buy it. Is that market manipulation? What about if I do that on a television network? What about if I do it on a Twitch stream? <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So that is sort of like the two sides of the issue here is, um, you know, in the idealistic uh, scenario short selling is great it protects investors um, it roots out corruption and that has certainly happened it's certainly there's plenty of examples of that and but on the other side it's used as a um, it's taken advantage of of, of um, by uh, large large uh, institutional investors and used in a way that some might say is uh, not ethically sound and uh, is used to drive down a price in a way that is unjustified uh, through spreading of fear and uncertainty. And the real concern to me about that, well, I mean, besides like pushing the stock to zero and causing the, it all to falter, that's really bad. But the other part too is um, there's also another feedback loop here where companies' ability to borrow is dependent on their stock price. Mm-hmm. So the rates at which they're quoted for 
for for loans and ultimately how much they're allowed to borrow, which can be really important for companies that are in a tight spot and um, are looking to try to pivot or adjust their uh, business model to turn things around. They maybe need an injection of capital to make that happen. If there are some like large institutional investors who are pushing my stock down price down to, in a way that I feel like is unethical. Um, I don't have really have much recourse. And in fact, it's uh, further adds fuel to this fire because now I can't borrow at, um, at good rates because they've pushed my price down too far. And now I'm, my interest rates are higher and the total amount I'm allowed to borrow is, is lower. So there's a lot of like negative feedback loops that can start um, when, when you, when a short sellers that when it's on and, and they're really applying pressure. Yeah. And, but also notably, the opposite is true as well, right? Like hedge funds can do the same thing driving up prices. So it's not, It's I think it's important to distinguish that it's not totally unique to short positions. It's just that large institutional investors have a lot of power to affect the market in the direction that they want it to go. Um, and also it looks pretty sketchy sometimes. It probably is pretty sketchy sometimes, but it's not, it's not only true of shorts. Like the opposite can happen too, where you can inflate a company's reputation. Other people buy it when you talk about how great it is. And then the loss there is that at some point the company will come back to earth and other retail investors who bought it will lose money. Yes. Um, and also you're sort of artificially subsidizing their rates of getting loans, for example, and they're getting better credit rates yep. than they should because they're not actually that good a company and they might be more unstable than they seem. So it's the whole thing is complicated. It's probably not unique to shorts, but it does come up with shorts. And also I think irrelevant details that Elon Musk, hero of the internet, has gone after um, people who have shorted Tesla stock. And I think that has convinced a lot of the kind of people who like Wall Street bets to be against shorts. I yeah. think that's probably pertinent to the story. That is true. And you're right to call out that it works both ways, right? It doesn't have to be the short position that a uh, large institutional with outsized impact can infect. They could do mm. it the other way too. I do, th- yeah, it's all bad, right? Like, but um, for our example, right, the shorting side is, is what we're interested in. And you're right, like um, Elon Musk uh, has really hates shorts. He's like talked about it a lot. He thinks that they attack Tesla in unfair ways in the past. And um, Tesla stock and Elon Musk were sort of darlings of the Wall Street Bet subreddit. That's just a side tangent. But um, Tesla stock has, you know, skyrocketed in the past year. And a part of that is, you know, games uh wall street bets i don't know what role exactly they play i haven't done a deep dive on tesla stock but i know they like it i know they like it a lot um now where i wanted to go next is my deep dive into wall street bets with respect to gamestop because i'm like Mm -hmm. where did this start what is the origin of this oh wait can we wrap up one other loose end before you go there yeah i feel like you're going way back okay so you talked about uh failure to deliver is that what it's called yeah fail Fail to to deliver. deliver yeah um, okay, so I thought this is where you were going with that. So one um, one question we haven't come back to right now is what what happened when Robinhood shut out uh, retail investors from buying the stock, which basically burst the bubble. It, yeah. it started to bring things back down. Well, I don't know that we will ever know for certain, but Robinhood claims that it's actually related to that fail to deliver mechanic because the way the clearinghouses work when um, there's a lot of stocks being exchanged back and forth is that when they when they say you've bought the stock um the stock doesn't actually move at that time yeah like it doesn't actually get transferred across to the other person it ta- it's two days technically two days. before the stock yeah. moves t plus two mm-hmm. t plus two yeah and so for that reason 
uh, the clearinghouses, the pay, the people that manage these exchanges, insist that the players who hold the stock put up a certain amount of money to represent or to, to serve as collateral that they will actually deliver the stock. Right. So they can't fail to do it. Or the money on the other side. That both parties or are going to execute the, the trade. Yeah. yeah. So both sides need to have that. Um, yeah, because if either side bails, you need to be able to take something from them, basically. They need to guarantee they can't. Well, Robinhood claims, and it, it seems fairly credible, that as the the variance of basically like how much it was bouncing around right. of the GameStop stock went up, the clearinghouse has said this is now much riskier. Like people yep. are more likely not to deliver this, and we don't know what the price will be in five minutes. It might be triple this. So let you alone need to two put days. A, yeah. Let, well, it, I think you still pay what you would have paid at, at the, the time, time you executed yeah. the trade. Got it. But but they still need to say like in case this goes up in ten minutes, you need to start giving us more money now. I guess the alternative. I guess my point about the two days is if. If I had some ability to withhold my funds, say the stock, the bottom fell out Mm -hmm. two days later, I could withhold my funds and not actually Uh, buy the stock from you. That's, I think, part of it, That's a good point. You're right. Yeah, I think you are right about that. So basically, the clearinghouse has said, you need to put up way more collateral. And uh, Robinhood claims they were asked for, asked for I believe, $3 billion. And they were like, we don't have, we don't have that. $3 billion <laughs> sitting around. So they actually, right after that, went and took out a significant, I forget if, if they made an equity offering or if they took out debt. But pretty soon after they did do that, which really lends credence to their story that that's what happened. So it, it sort of puts a damper on the conspiracy theory aspect of like Robinhood bursts the bubble to help other hedge fund investing friends um although i mean there's probably some corruption in there somewhere it seems very believable but it doesn't seem like the primary motive right yeah so i'm aware of this narrative and that's fair i should have probably continued down the path i it's hard to know when you pull up out of the the rabbit holes (laughs) this story has so many rabbit holes it's crazy and that's part of why it's so fascinating but um but yeah so you're right and dtcc dtcc is as I understand it, like the clearing house, like pretty much every trade goes through DTCC. And they are the ones who said you need to pony up more collateral because this is getting super risky. Uh, what about Robinhood? What if your investors um, in two days time decide they don't want this share anymore because the price fell out or vice versa? Like it's way more expensive. So the other side doesn't want to sell it. Um you know, we got to protect the marketplace is the way that it's portrayed. But there are some still some really suspicious actors and, and relationships within this structure. Now, I just want to preface everything that I know that what I say might sound a little conspiratorial. <laughs> and it's not, you know, I've had to check myself. I'm like, am I believing conspiracy theories <laughs> as you do these deep dives? Because it gets oh, crazy. It gets crazy. It gets crazy fast. And <sighs> As I said, this is an opaque system. You don't know who's pulling the strings um, necessarily. So I just want to put preface it there. I know I might sound a little conspiratorial. I promise you I'm not going off the deep end. Uh, but it is interesting. So Robin Hood, Robin Hood, right, is a broker. But they are partners with a, um institution called Citadel. And Citadel is like... I mean, Wall Street bets hate Citadel, and they think there's some nefarious um, act, acting between these two entities. That Citadel basically told Robinhood. So let me take, let me add the detail here that so Citadel are they? I believe they are a hedge fund. 
I don't um, actually know what type I, of entity they are. I'm not sure that you. they, I mean, they, let me check. So Citadel LLC is an American multinational hedge fund and financial services company. So okay. they too, they do both, which is, I mean, you might say it's conflict of interest. I don't know. <laughs> that just seems ridiculous in my opinion. Um, but who am I, right? <laughs> um, so Rob, so let's just run with this. As I Google this, this is what we're finding, right? So see, yeah, this is what I'm finding. Citadel is an LLC. It is both a hedge fund and a financial services. And part of those financial services is actually... Um, is actually related to security exchanges, okay? And uh, if you look into Robinhood and how they make money, something on the order of about 40% of Robinhood's revenue comes through Citadel. It comes through Citadel. So there's obviously a huge financial stake at, at, at play between these two organizations. Citadel also is the ones who lended billions of dollars to Melvin Capital, who were sort of made the... Um, face of the hedge fund side of this short squeeze event. Melvin Capital bet against short stop, uh, GameStop. Uh, Wall Street bets, you know, wanted to go after Melvin Capital. Melvin Capital um, has been bleeding money. They have um, uh, had to take out emergency loans and get extra liquidity to be able to make their interest payments um, and afford to buy back shares because they were one of the ones that was shorting it at $4. So when you're shorting at $4, and now the stock closed today at 60 so the bubble has burst in a sense. I'm not sure this story's over yet. Yeah. I'm not sure it's over yet. Um, but that is, uh, you know, that's a huge price difference to pay. That can bankrupt a hedge fund if you've done it on the order of a few million shares. That's ridiculous. It's crazy how much money you can lose, how quickly. Um, so Citadel actually, you know, quote, unquote, bailed out Melvin Capital, provided an emergency loan of liquidity. So Citadel is like sort of sitting in between these two organizations, like of Melvin being the ones that the short sellers are betting against, but then having a huge financial stake in Robinhood. And that's how Robinhood effectively stays open as a company. And there seems to be like this conflict of interest that Citadel would obviously want to protect the money that they lent to Melvin Capital. If Melvin Capital goes bankrupt, Citadel's not going to get their money back. Mm -hmm. um, and they're the primary uh, revenue source for Robinhood. So it doesn't, you know, I'm not, it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me to know that Citadel made some phone calls and told Robinhood that you, you need to start to try to slow this thing down. Um, so, it may still be true that it all's all related to the clearinghouse, DTCC. You know, I don't think we're going to know for some time. There's going to have to be investigations. Yeah. Which, another side note, another, like, interesting piece to this is that Janet Yellen, who is now the confirmed Treasury Secretary, has said that she wants to investigate with the SEC into this event. Well, um, Janet Yellen has received hundreds of thousands of dollars in speaking fees from Citadel. Well, something oh, almost like a million dollars. So she mm. had to get a, quote, ethics waiver to be allowed to investigate this. Now, maybe Janet huh. Yellen is still impartial. Maybe she can, um, you know, execute a uh, rigorous and ethical investigation. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how you waive ethics <laughs> or like how you waive a conflict of interest just because you've signed a piece of paper. Yeah, These people have paid. I was unaware. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, a million, almost a million dollars in speaking fees. Um, from this organization to now who is now the treasury secretary and who was the former head of the federal reserve janet yellen um 
So, I have no evidence of manipulation, of uh, bad actors, breaking the law, whatever, you know, acting unethically. But I can understand why those on Wall Street Bets who have been, you know, a part of this from early on, see how these actors are all connected together and begin to draw these draw lines between the dots. Whether those lines exist or not, it's almost beside the point. It doesn't look good on the face of it. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, it's certainly, it, it, you know, another thing we have on our show notes is to talk about the big short, the movie. And um, there's, like, uh, you know, similarities between these two events and, you know, in the sense that there's a short, it's about short selling, but also about how these financial institutions can uh, do things that you might argue is illegal. I don't know how uh, you have this coordinated outage across all these brokers. It wasn't just Robin Hood. It was a dozen of them. Perhaps they were all told that they had to put up the collateral in the same way. I don't know. It just looks really suspicious. So I'm curious, like, what do you think? Am I off the deep end? Am I nuts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. Uh, I I have not formed a strong opinion. I would say the the evidence has not led me to be very conspiratorial. Um, but my suspicion with many of these things is that there is a in these insider industries, there's a lot of gray area that people are taking full advantage of. And so I think if we knew everything about almost any significant financial event, we would find some. Some things we could look at twice. I don't know if they would be out and out illegal, but they probably right. are questionable. That's fair. Yeah, May, perhaps unethical, not uh, not illegal. Uh, it just I oh, <laughs> what I've had in repeat in my brain like has been the line from the Big Short by the uh, the uh, Michael Barry, the who's uh, actually has a uh, stake in GameStop. Interestingly enough, who he it. bought in months and months. He bought like a year ago. He was he thought the stock was undervalued and. He says he wants to find value wherever there's value. So, um, yeah, he's a he's an investor of GameStop. Uh, he shorted the housing market. And if you haven't seen The Big Short, highly recommend it. Go watch it. Um, but w- uh, the premise is that Michael Berry's hedge fund bet against these mortgage-backed securities. And I don't want us to get too far into that, but the idea is like you have this asset you can buy that's basically made up of thousands of mortgages. And mortgages were considered very safe investments, so the combination of thousands of mortgages makes this a a super safe bet, these mortgage-backed securities. Well, he went digging. He found that a bunch of these mortgages were really bad, that they were going to fail in a few years, so he wanted to bet against them. And you fast forward into the story and the mortgages underlying the security start to fail. But the price of the mortgage-backed security, the price of the bond, continues to increase, which makes absolutely no sense. Zero. There's no justification at all. It was simply the bank manipulating the system at play, that they had control over this price, and regardless of the underlying fundamentals, they had the ability to continue to increase price. Uh, They weren't willing to mark it down. They weren't going to push the price of this down because uh, it was going to hurt their books. And in the movie, Michael Berry, he looks at like this young analyst. He says, it's possible that we're living in a completely fraudulent system. And his young analyst looks and looks back at him. And he says, or you're wrong. 
<laughs> and Michael Barry's like, or I'm wrong. <laughs> and that's sometimes like, you know, I'm kind of sitting here. I'm like, we could be living in a completely fraudulent system. I'm like, or I'm wrong. <laughs> and then Michael Barry's like, well, I don't know how I'm wrong. He's like, but I guess no one ever knows how they're wrong when they're wrong. And he's, <laughs> but he's just having this event. Like, it makes no sense. How can the mortgages yeah. be failing and the bonds increasing in price? And then it goes even further where they don't want to sell the shorts anymore. The banks understands the jig's up. This is going to fail. So they price the uh, short position as if the bonds are about to fail while the price is still going up. That one mm. was the craziest. It's like, you're like, how do you justify this? And you're like, I don't know. Like, that's just <laughs> that's just what it is. You're like, this is crazy. Yeah, this is crazy. I've read the book, but it's been a few months. And so I don't remember all the details. That is very interesting. Yeah, that's the one one line that just plays and repeat on my head. It's like, we might be living in a completely fraudulent system. It's like, or you're wrong. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know how I'm wrong, but no one ever knows know. how they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I think in this case, most people would agree that the stock prices become untethered from the fundamentals of the company. There's not yes. not a lot of disagreement there. So No, no, it's not. I don't nec- I don't like that some have, you know, harped on that and they're like, it's untied from the fundamentals. How do you support this with the fundamentals? And it's like that's not the point. That's not the point. And it's not the, and you know, like GameStop stock is not completely removed from GameStop. It isn't just some like, it's not the new Bitcoin. The fact is the well, squeeze is on. It kind of feels on. like it sometimes. It does. It does. But the fact is that the squeeze is on. So the price reflects that. And that's all that it is. I heard that one. But was I heard the squeeze one, on the whole way through? Like my impression was that was not the case near the end at the top of the bubble. That it was actually just a bubble. We don't know. No, we oh, don't know. The data's not out. I mean, hmm. the most recent short data that I've seen that's like quote unquote official was from the middle of January. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. So I haven't seen any newer short interest data. I mean, someone has it, but we yeah. as consumers don't know, right? We're not on hmm. the inside. Um, so I think that people are spinning that narrative. I don't think anyone has any real hard evidence to support that. Um, I don't know how they can close out of their short position and not go bankrupt. Um when you're at 140% short and the stock price is $300 and you shorted at four. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't add up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm not sure I said this, but roll the, the day we'll call it black Thursday, harken back to the stuff, the day the stock market started to crash in 1929. Um, the, uh, GameStop stock and pre-market trading was trading at $500. And I was like, this is the day, like the market's going <laughs> to crash, like this market's going to crash or M- Melvin capital is going to go bankrupt. Like something's going to happen. This is, we were headed towards nine o'clock at $500 a share. And uh, shortly before market open is when all the news started to break. Uh, Robin hoods can't, you can't buy any more stock. You can only sell, but Hey, the institutional investors are allowed to buy still. They're still allowed to buy. And then it's Weeble, and then it's other trading platforms, and it's like this sole cabal to block retail investors from buying the stock, and that obviously scared people. So the price went from the pre-trading hours at $500 to opening at like 150 So they definitely took air out of the balloon, like mm. for sure. Um, and what I also saw or noticed is like there's just like this really strange coordinated um, – attack is not the right word but trying to discredit uh the retail investors involved or trying to divert people's attention to other stocks the one i saw come up was about silver they're like Mm -hmm. all these major retailers all these major media outlets are saying 
Silver's the new GameStop. And it's if you even took five seconds to go look in Wall Street Bets and see what they said about Silver, nobody was talking about Silver. Nobody. None. And that was just the most recent example. That kind of uh, misreporting or inaccurate reporting had been occurring all week. It really seems strange to me of like, why it's, okay, uh, another example. And right, I'm sounding like conspiracy theorists. <laughs> no, I do. I know it. I know it, man. I'm crazy. You got to help me. Um, <laughs> so everybody like, you know, review bombs Robinhood because they stopped letting buy stock, uh, GameStop specifically. And they go from like a five-star rating to like less than a one-star rating in just a couple of hours. Uh, and then a few hours later, gay, uh, Google erased 10,000 bad reviews. It's like, why would Google do that? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Why, why <laughs> would Google do that? And then there was other times where people were taking screen grabs of like their Twitter feeds and stuff of advertisements. They were ads. They were promoted content of CNBC talking badly about GameStop stock or saying Melvin Capital sold out of its short position. I'm like, hold up. Why would CNBC pay to run an ad on this platform saying that this, the, you know, the other side of this short trade has left their position? It's like, that's fine. They can leave their position. You don't need to pay for an ad to tell me. Like, it was just this a lot of, and now, you know, who, that's whatever. It was probably just some algorithm that the ad, like that was like what was the headline of the day, and that's what got fed into the ad is more likely. But it was just really strange, and it fed into this conspiratorial thought within the subreddit, which yeah isn't good for anybody. But it's like um, it felt like a coordinated attack as I'm watching it. Oh yeah, so Discord gets taken down, right? They're like, no one's you know Wall Street bets Discord down. The subreddit went private for I don't know a few yeah, hours. I saw that. Yeah. They had to, and then. The subreddit was infiltrated with tons of bots. That was documented. That was clearly documented. There's bots in there posting like every three seconds, like uh, trying to spread, you know, bad vibes. Because that's what it is. They're trying to shake people's faith in the stock so that they sell it. Because that's how you, if you're the hedge fund, you need these people to sell. you got to get them to sell. So you got to scare them. you got to scare them into selling. So these bots are just, you know, you can look through their comment history. It's the same comment in just every single thread. Any thread, they go in there and they're like, Oh, I'm getting scared. Oh, I'm nervous. Oh, whatever. And it's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. That is interesting. I don't know, though. The mechanics of several of those things seem hard to imagine, right? Like the, the hedge funds. The, I, there's no developers at the hedge funds who work on bots, right? So then who are they paying to do the bots? It's like, there's probably some trolls out there. But whenever anything attracts that much attention, it would make sense. You probably get tons of bots. I don't know. I feel like the, part of the problem is the more scrutiny something like this gets especially in an already very sketchy system. Like it's just a very complicated system. People don't know all the inner workings, super opaque. The more scrutiny that a single event gets, the more conspiratorial everything will be. It's like it, every every part of it will look conspiratorial. Yep. Or will You're look totally right. Like I mean, I have another example yeah. that just came to my head. You're right. The problem is everything starts to look conspiratorial mm-hmm. because it's such an opaque system. Another example was brokerages uh, deleting, removing um, user set uh, cell sell uh sell limits the Hmm. idea the sell orders the idea being if gamestop hits a thousand dollars sell my share that's what you say from now till april 1st if gamestop stock hits a thousand dollars a share sell it uh simple simple concept you can do this all the time users reporting that robin hood and other brokers had deleted theirs and not let them set their sell limit which is very very strange wouldn't that be the opposite of the the other movements though like wouldn't that drive the price higher 
Uh, I'm not sure I follow. Well, why? So in these other cases, it's like it sounds more like a coordinated effort to bring the stock price down. But if yes. I set an automatic sell at a certain point, that can only bring down the price, not up, right? That's true. But the prices were set astronomically high. A thousand dollars was. I mean, people were setting it from ten thousand dollars. Somebody posted in the subreddit a picture of their brokerage account with a sell of their fractional share for two grand. And this was like right before the blackout occurred. Who knows? Maybe they photoshopped it. I have no yeah. proof that it's. But there were two separate individuals in a subreddit form on Wall Street Bets that were like, "Hey, I had 0.25 of a share, and I set a sell order of what well, I don't remember what they said, but it was a lot, thousands of dollars." And they're like, "It's sold. This is completed." And hmm. my under my conspiratorial suspicion is that a lot of this stuff is happening uh, via. Automated trading systems, computers trading back and forth, and computers, right? I don't think that they had. I'm just, you know, I'm connecting dots. I'm assuming that they needed to somehow stop people from posting these super high sell limits in case of the in case a short squeeze did occur where the price did skyrocket, like VW did in 20, 2009 or ten. Where that one hit like thousands of dollars a share at the very, very peak. And they either want through um, manipulation, like the, the, those who are financially backing these brokers, um, the large institutional investors telling them you need to stop letting people set these kind of limits just in case it happens. Because we can't stop our computers from making the trade. If it if the squeeze occurs, we want to make sure. I don't that- think that makes sense though, because it would still be advantageous to them. Like if you take one person off the market who would have sold for a thousand and make them not sell no matter what, that's always disadvantageous. If you I don't think it was the that they couldn't squeeze. sell no matter what. I think that they were trying to get them to sell. Like they wouldn't let them set outrageous sell orders. So they wanted to set lower sell orders. Yes, they. You could set hmm. one for perhaps five hundred dollars, but you weren't allowed to set one for five grand. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I can't see much reason for that. Huh. Now, take everything I just said with a grain of salt. It could be all made up. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I am quite skeptical of much of it, but not of other parts, I'll say. I mean, there's definitely there's definitely uh, some level of coordination for certain things, right? There's just no way around it. There's not that many players at the top of the financial system. These people all know each other, no doubt. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. And to your point, I feel like that is really the sort of um, the underlying thread of all of it is because it's an opaque system that's difficult to understand and most people engaging in it on the resale side don't understand what's going on. Um, you know, everything becomes a conspiracy. Everything becomes a, 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 a ploy against them and trying to get them to sell mm-hmm. their stock and, you know, prevent them from becoming rich and sticking it to Wall Street, which, you know, the inevitable end is that somebody on the retail side gets stuck holding the bag, period. Um, which... I don't think that means you restrict the free market. It's like people got to make their own choices. And if you know, you're know you stuck with it, it's, I mean, sometimes you're on the wrong side of the deal, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I feel like that is true. That is true. So that was my conspiratorial deep dive. I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to actually spend a little bit of time on the, a bit of the history that led us to this point that mm-hmm. I was able to learn that isn't conspiratorial. <laughs> um, and it goes, it connects to Wall Street Bets and specifically one... Um, redditor poster uh, who goes by the name Roaring Kitty on YouTube and uh, I, I see from the, the smirk on your face you might yeah. have a clue about who this guy is 
Um, on on Reddit, his name, and you'll have to bleep this out. Uh, <laughs> it's Deep Fucking <laughs> Value, which is, I mean, I think it's a great name. <laughs> I'm a huge fan, and so, uh, and it's really good too because if you watch his YouTube videos, he calls himself a Deep Value investor. So what mm-hmm. does he what does he mean by Deep Value? It means that he thinks he's looking for stocks whose uh, stock price is uh, way lower than what he thinks it should be based on the fundamentals of the business. So future cash flow, their balance sheets, uh, the assets that they have, how much cash they have on hand. So real securities analysis, really tying how is the business performing to the stock price. So in his YouTube videos, he's like, I'm a deep value investor. I want to find very undervalued stocks, buy them, hold them for the long term, and once everyone else catches on to what I already realized, I will sell for a profit. And uh, so he has this YouTube channel called Roaring Kitty. And so I went looking through his YouTube channel and found that he had been posting about GameStop um, as, as far back as 2019 as a deep value stock that he thought it was undervalued at $4. Um, and he posts a few different videos with his thesis as to why. And so this connects to when I was saying that there are some people on these Wall Street Bets forums who are very intelligent investors. They, they clearly know how to analyze a business, how to do securities analysis. These are things I'm not very familiar with. Um, so I watched an hour-long thesis video from Roaring Kitty explaining why he thinks that GameStop stock was undervalued at $4 a share. And I think he made a compelling case. Um, and he's very frank too, that he's like, I don't know everything. I could be wrong. I want people to poke holes in my thesis. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm overlooking things. Um, but his, his, his idea was really that, um, kind of boiled down to a few different things. He thought that the stock was overlooked because it's a brick and mortar in an industry that's moving digital. Um, he thought it was undervalued. Um, and he thought that people were really not, uh, were really discounting the, the um, increase in business that GameStop would see with a console refresh. So the console refreshes were right around the corner. He was posting these thesis videos in uh, 2020 through the middle of 2020 um, saying, you know, I think with a console refresh on it, on on the horizon, that GameStop can quickly turn around their, um, you know, poor performance throughout 2020 um, to go to be positive again, to be making a profit. And he said, basically thought that in terms of the books of GameStop, that they're really not in a bad position. They do over a billion dollars. They get a billion dollars in revenue, which everyone always says no one shops at GameStop anymore. Um, but I don't know how you do a billion dollars in revenue and no one shops at your stores. I, this you, doesn't you make sense. There. That's where you bought your uh, your Wii Fit, right? Yes, I bought my Wii Fit there. Yeah. And yeah. I bought my Switch there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought back to that as I was watching the video. I was like, he's got to go because I would have been one of those people. Somebody would have told me in twenty, you know, uh, in June of twenty twenty, buy GameStop. I'm like, no one shops at GameStop, yeah. but but you, but people do. It does. It happens. <laughs> I'm living proof. Um, he and he also thought that there was still a lot of demand for physical games. Like there are just some gamers who preferences align to physical games and being able to exchange those games later on, trade them back, and get a discount on a new game. So I think that he. And then, I mean, to round out his thesis, he was also really excited about a lot of the changes that were occurring on the GameStop leadership. So the founder of Chewy.com, um, I don't remember his name, Andrew something. I don't he he joined the board and he bought a bunch of stock. Andrew uh, Michael 
Michael Burry, right? He's invested. Um, there are a few other players, like, changes, too, and, like, just sort of, uh, you know, changes around in the leadership that were encouraging him and made him think, you know, the the, the, the trend for this, uh, for GameStop is positive. We think this is going to, this is, there's still life left in this uh, company. And he admits, you know, uh, you know, maybe this isn't true in 10 years. Maybe we really have moved on from the physical to the digital in 10 years and GameStop doesn't revamp its uh, business enough to adjust to that. And eventually, you know, in 10 years time, this thesis doesn't hold up. He's like, but in 2020, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of value still here. And so he was projecting that the stock should be around like three, four times what it was worth. So if it was trading at four bucks, that'd be 12 to 16. And that's what he thought. That's what he thought it should be worth. I thought he made a pretty compelling case being someone who doesn't know a ton about these things. Um, but I thought it was really interesting at like the, I don't know, 50 minute mark of the video of an hour long video. He mentions, uh, there's a potential for a short squeeze. He goes, you know, there's a potential for a short squeeze. I see there's a lot of short interest. He's like, that's not a part of my thesis at all. That should be clear. You know, I haven't mentioned this until very late in the video. He's like, but the fact that there's potential means you got to factor it in and, and I need to mention it here. So yeah, there's, there's a possibility that this, that there's over, uh, there's over interest in shorting GameStop stock, which could lead to a short squeeze, which I just thought was really interesting. Like mm-hmm. kind of gives, I think it gives him an even deeper level of credibility as yeah. a securities analyst to see that on the horizon, uh, seven months in advance as a possibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I think he's really, really like sharp. I think he's like clearly knows what he's talking about, what he's looking at, what he's looking for in a stock and stuff like this. And that's sort of where it all started was Roaring Kitty. I think there's probably others too. Talking about the undervalue of GameStop stock. And then uh, as time went on, the picture, it became clear and clearer that a short squeeze was definitely possible with a coordinated effort. And, you know, that leads us to where we are today. So I feel like, um, I feel like through the whole chaos of the week that missed and missed and the the message became like these people on Reddit, they're just crazy meme stock buyers and they're just, they're nuts. And I mean, that's true for a lot of people, but I don't, th- that's painting with too broad a brush. I think that there really was some uh, thoughtful people, mm-hmm. a, a part of this that, that, um, and kind of the instigators. Yeah. 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 They, 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 they sort of pointed out to the community, the stock was undervalued and that it was getting hammered by shorts. Um, so I wanted to mention that because I thought it was a part of the story that had been overlooked yeah. uh, somewhat. And I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, that is super interesting. I, I may look into him. Apparently today, um, his company had some interaction with a regulatory agency in which they said they had no idea that he was doing yeah. all this on the <laughs> side and they would have fired him. <laughs> so it doesn't look great for him, actually, although he's made a ton of money. He He's backed off this because I, I think the heat's, heat's getting hot, right? When the stock hit 60 bucks a share, uh, as it was approaching 60, he was doing daily streams and they're basically just celebrations. I didn't watch them all the way through. I just watched the first few minutes. So maybe they did get into some analysis or whatever. But the way it starts off is really like, hey, every like everybody, like it's happening. It's happening. The stock's starting to soar. Like, and it was like when it was tw- when it was like 30 bucks, when it's 40 bucks, when it's 50, when it's 60. And it was just really funny too to see him and see him. Uh, he had chicken tenders. He's like, the tendies came today. <laughs> Popping bottles <laughs> of champagne and stuff. And uh, uh, 
the chicken tenders are I love a it. joke that you would just I have mean, to be. I mean, it's the food of the building. <laughs> we, I don't we understand what there, there is to explain. explain. The elites eat chicken fingers. We know this. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay, so, uh, yeah. Anyways, he was doing these videos, right? These daily streams to sort of, like, engaging with the community. Everybody was involved with this. And after that day that it hit 60, the next day it hit 150. And that's when, like... Every mainstream media was catching on to this. It became a massive story. Accusations yeah. of fraud were flying around and stuff. Market manipulation and all this stuff. And he went silent. He went silent on his YouTube channel. He he was posting on Twitter still, but just memes. <laughs> and the one thing he kept doing was posting his... He was posting daily updates to the Wall Street Bet subreddit of his position. Which, that is a remarkable... Well, one, like... I just want to take a step back and say what this man has done is remarkable. He published his research publicly yeah. to everybody. Anybody could have seen this. No, you know, hedge funds don't do this. Hedge fund, this you keep this information secret. It's your competitive advantage. Just how you, uh, you know, win, quote unquote. No, he does everything in the open. He shows you how he built his spreadsheets how he collects all his data how he analyzes it he's posting regular updates to the wall street bet subreddit of his exact position in gamestop exactly how many shares he has has what options he has open all this stuff um it's like i mean it's remarkable it's remarkable um so he's was posting daily and it became this sort of uh uh i don't even know like frenzied event it's like uh, you know, DFV, DFV, like waiting for him to post. Like after it'd be about like four fifteen. Like everybody on the subreddit's like, yeah. like, like cheer, like let's see it. And then it would always be like <laughs> he posted his position when it moved. He didn't sell anything. And then everyone's like, if he's still in, I'm still in. <laughs> if he's still in, I'm still in. If he can hold, I can <laughs> hold. So it just builds this like you know camaraderie, oh, I suppose, and just like kind of frenzy around it he did say recently that he's going to take a step back and stop posting those every single day as this has gonna probably extend on and you know he's in interest of some investigations i guess now and stuff um so he's taking a step back on that front so he's kind of going media silent i think for his own protection which is you know he's got to do that mm-hmm. um it is so fascinating yeah. it's so fascinating to me man that's so interesting this was great <laughs> This is part two. Thanks thanks for listening to this very long part two of podcast. Yeah, please don't think I'm crazy. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to stop the recording.